0: This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode 111. You ready? You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show today. I have been watching the Airbnb phenomenon for a while. Back in, gosh, late 2016, I'd interviewed Nav Athwal of RealtyShares, which is a crowdfunding site. He had written a fascinating paper about the rise of the Airbnb multifamily investor. Every time something like that happens, some kind of technological shift, like with Uber, with Airbnb, it's so disruptive and it creates new opportunity. And I always thought, man, wouldn't it be interesting to apply the Airbnb model to an apartment building? And while Nav in his paper speculated and had conversations with people who were doing it on a small scale, no one really was doing it on a large scale for a variety of different reasons. Difficult to scale, primary concern was legislation about where they would go. And about a year ago, I had met a fellow by the name of Tim Hubbard, and he was doing exactly that. He was taking an eight unit apartment building in Memphis, kind of a rundown area in Midtown, which is kind of an up and coming area, kind of artsy restaurants. Really cool place, and he took this rundown place and he essentially gutted it. And at the time when I met him, he was going to turn it into an Airbnb multifamily building. And I was fascinated by that. Now it's a year later, and he's with me on the show today. And he's going to talk about what he did. He's going to talk about why he chose Memphis, why he chose this building, why he chose this area, what he did for it, what the rents were before he got in, what the rents were after he got in, how he manages the whole thing from Columbia. And I'm not a, I'm talking about Columbia, Maryland, i talking about Columbia, the country. And the man travels constantly because the income covers his living expenses. It's extraordinary. This is fascinating. You guys definitely need to listen to this. The opportunity there in b are fairly massive, especially when they're applied to apartment buildings. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Tim Hubbard. All right, Tim, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Michael. Really excited to have you here on the show because you have a really, really exciting strategy that... Combines Airbnb with multifamily. And I'm really curious to find out more about what you're doing. So, before we get into that, how in the world did you ever get started with this whole Airbnb thing? Yeah,
1: my first Airbnb experience was as a user. So, traveling, you know, I've always really enjoyed traveling. So, I started using Airbnb back in 2012. And uh, I was also investing in real estate and sort of just started doing it on my own in 2015.
0: Okay. So why were you investing in real estate to begin with? What was happening during this time? You know, I read the Robert Kiyosaki
1: books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like a lot of people. And so I've always been interested in passive income. And also, I guess, having a lifestyle that allowed me to continue traveling. And so I got into real estate in 2010 at a pretty good time, I think.
0: Yeah. And so just to fast forward a little bit right now, and we'll get through in your story a little bit, but kind of what's your life like now? Like, where are you right now?
1: Uh, I'm in Medellin in (laughs) Colombia. And how long have
0: you been there? What were you doing before then?
1: Well, I've been coming here off and on, I guess, since 2012. I've been living here since February. Before that, I was sort of bouncing back and forth between Sacramento and Memphis, where I'm doing real estate in both those markets.
0: Basically, the the income you're getting from those real estate investments is covering your whatever expenses you have wherever you are in Colombia.
1: It is, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. All right, let's talk about the Airbnb thing. Cause every time you someone does something a little bit on the cutting edge, I love it. Like I've been watching the Airbnb thing for a while. I've had Brian Page, you know, did some stuff with him and it's really you know, fantastic, but I've never really seen anyone do it to a multifamily before. And you kinda did this with an eight unit in Memphis. So tell us a little bit about what you did there.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, I was looking for properties in Memphis. Actually single family homes. I was looking for passive stuff, mainly in- so I went to Memphis looking for those. And I was staying in an Airbnb while I was there. And I realized that the prices they were charging there were pretty similar to what I was charging for my Airbnbs in Sacramento. And it's just sort of dawned on me that you know, that might be a way better alternative. So I started looking at multifamily properties. One came up, uh, eight units in a pretty good area of town where I thought it'd work well for Airbnbs. So ended up purchasing that and did a lot of
0: renovations, but got it all furnished. And now
1: it's... Uh, all eight of those working as Airbnbs. Or on the way short term rental.
0: What made you think that this was a good idea, Tim?
1: It was pretty easy for me, honestly. I, I one of the Airbnbs I stayed at while I was doing inspections on the properties was on the same exact street of the property that I was purchasing. And I ended up talking to her, a gal, and she'd been doing this for like ten years, before Airbnb and all that. It was really small world. I was in California at the time and I that's what I was doing, you know, hey I'm on this property down the street and Turns out she ended up living like a half an hour from me in California. So we became good friends and she shared a lot of info and occupancies and stuff like that. So that made me pretty comfortable doing going for it.
0: That's pretty cool. So you saw this eight unit in Memphis. What area is it in? What shape was the building like? And how did you envision the building to be after you were done?
1: Uh, it's in midtown in Memphis. It was not in good shape. It was uh, it's an old colonial house. It's pretty large. I mean, they fit eight units in there, all metered separately and everything, but it needed Desperately a lot of renovation. So, after I closed on it, you know, as leases were were ending, basically, didn't renew them. And had to do every unit, basically. So, all the tenants had to to vacate. It was quite a bit of work. So,
0: you vacated the whole whole building. Yeah. And when you do that, did you get a loan on this thing? How did you finance or fund this thing? Uh, Yeah,
1: I got a loan, commercial loan from a bank there. And they also funded part of the uh, renovation. So, I created a pro forma... You know, with my renovation costs and all that, and they actually financed eighty percent of the purchase price and the construction costs. So it was pretty good.
0: Amazing. Was there any kind of precedence for this, or why do you think the bank felt comfortable in loaning you on this?
1: I had a history of short-term rentals already, so you know, of course, I provided them all my other properties and financials and stuff on that. But he was actually somewhat familiar with those short-term rentals because he's financing one of the neighbor's properties also. So I see. That made it a lot easier. Yeah, most lenders, although they're loosening up on this, there are more that are considered short-term rents now. But at the time, yeah, it was pretty lucky.
0: What concerns did you have about the Airbnb model? I mean, they're still kind of really new. There's some concerns about legislation or changing legislation or anything like that. How did you assess the risk of doing what you were doing? Yeah, those are
1: legitimate concerns. That's one of the reasons I left Sacramento actually, because they changed laws saying you could only rent short-term for a certain period of time. And that's happening all over the states, all over the world, actually. But for me, it was, you know, I bought that building. It was already cash flowing. So it was cash flowing with long-term tenants. So my backup plan is basically, you know, if a lot changes or something happens, I can go back and just rent this out long term, I'm still going to be OK. So that's kind of my ultimate backup plan for for anything I'm doing now and that I'll do in the future.
0: That's fantastic. So yeah, you might not be able to make as much money as you think you might. But if things go bad, at least you have a cash flowing asset. Yeah, That's outstanding. Now, what was the extent of the renovations like? Can you give us a kind of a visual of what the building was like when you took it over and what you had to do to it?
1: Yeah, that's pretty extensive. It was built in 1912. like a lot of The properties in Midtown are older. Plumbing, for the most part, had not been updated. So I updated all the plumbing, all eight units, an old boiler system for heating and air. So I got rid of all that, all the radiators. The cellar replaced the roof before I got it. So that was part of our deal. And we did a lot of electrical, plumbing, some structural work. Uh, I had a nice big basement. so We had easy access to that, which was good. But yeah, basically top to bottom, Henry did the whole thing. And and since I was going in to do it as short term, you know, tire finishes and things like that, more than you would for you know traditional long term tenant, for sure.
0: Yeah. So give us an idea of what did you kind of buy it for, and what were the repair costs?
1: I bought it for two seventy. I think he was asking like three twenty, but after inspections mm-hmm. and things, and then so yeah, I got it for two seventy. Did the roof? I put about two hundred thousand into it. I would say. But that's also including the furniture that I use to furnish the
0: apartments. All right, so you essentially gutted the whole thing for about one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and then you added about fifty thousand dollars of furniture. And is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, more
0: or less. Yeah, yeah. So if you're listening to us on the podcast, you're not going to be able to see the before and after pictures. If you're watching it on video. You can see some of the before and after pictures, but they're, I mean, gorgeous. I don't know if overimproved is the right word, but it really is a gorgeous property. I remember going to Memphis and without actually really knowing it was yours, I was like, wow, this is a pretty cool property. You ended up not staying in an Airbnb, and it turns out that was your property. So not only did you do a really nice job with improving it, but then the photographs you put online are just outstanding. So it's a really, really nice place right now. So give us an idea of what rents were you getting before? And then, what rents were you getting after you went live with us?
1: The building's a mix of uh, two studios, five one bedrooms, and a larger two bedroom. So the rent sort of varied, but I mean, the studios were getting like $350 a month in rent. I mean, they're really small, maybe like 300 square feet, and they weren't in good shape. And the two bedroom, so from the bottom to the top, the two bedroom was getting, I think, close to $700. Okay. So a bit of a range there. But after doing the renovations, they all average at least 2500 bucks a month. Per unit? Per, per unit, yeah, I would say, yeah.
0: <laughs> so it's quite, quite an increase. <laughs> it is quite the increase. That is amazing. What do you do to manage it, right? So you took this building and it was kind of in rough shape. You gutted it. Mm-hmm. You made it look kind of high end. Yeah, you added a bunch of nice furniture to it. And what else did you have to do to make it Airbnb ready?
1: I change all the locks for sure. That's one thing. So I use digital locks on all the doors that I can control online and set codes for maintenance people and all those types of things. That's a big, big thing. Uh, aside from that, it's really just you know having essentials in the apartment. You know, a lot of the people that are coming in are, are for work. You know, so I have irons and ironing board, and the kitchens have the basics, and then just really informing the guest about the apartment and then the area. You know, before and while they're there.
0: So how does this whole thing managed, right? Because it seems to me like you're kind of running a hotel. There's people coming and going, you got to clean, there's people you got to interact with. Now in a multifamily world, you have a property manager who handled all this stuff. Now in your world, how do you manage the whole thing?
1: I had already established, I guess like my own management company when I was in Sacramento because I I'm still doing Airbnbs over there. So I had all the software and the reservation side of it set up. So adding the units in Memphis was more or less finding housekeepers. And then I actually hired a full-time manager that helps me oversee all of those and then the ones in Sacramento. The biggest piece of that's probably the software that I use that handles all the reservations because they actually make all the bookings. I pay a little extra for the service and they do all the bookings. So I get the guests basically after they've made a reservation. Are you at liberty to say what software you're using? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's called uh, Guesty, guest with a y at the end, dot .com.
0: They also have customer service so someone can actually call them or or what kind of service, in addition to the software, what do they provide? Yeah, they do have
1: um, live people that handle the reservation bookings or actually they don't do reservations over the phone though. It's all done over the internet, which is how most people on Airbnb and HomeAway and VRBO and all the big ones do it anyways. There is a phone number if like there's an emergency or something, you can call them. But for the most part, we don't talk verbally with any of the guys before they arrive. It's all done online.
0: And the listings is on Airbnb, I assume. Are they in other websites as well? And how is that managed, the syndication of those listings?
1: Yeah, I'm probably on like maybe 10 or so different websites. The big ones are Airbnb, HomeAway, VRBO. I have my own website that I use now. It's a new industry. It's pretty exciting. So there's all these different pieces of software that are sort of popping up all over the place. And one of the big ones is what they call a channel manager. So that takes your listings and it syndicates them to all these different listing sites. That way you can put your listings up there one time, your pricing one time. It also shares calendar. So you don't have double bookings.
0: That's amazing. All right. So what, what happens if there's an issue, someone can't get in or something is broken? How is that handled and who handles that?
1: Yeah, yeah, good question. So the first stop, usually we try to get everyone just to to message through where they made the reservation, so through Airbnb, and that's going to go to the people that work with the software company, and they're pretty quick about responding. If they don't respond, I always leave contact numbers in the apartment and also in a guidebook that I give the guest, so they would be calling my manager that I hired, that's kind of overseeing everything. If for some reason neither of them are available. That, then they can call me as well. So, we usually don't have any issues with someone not getting through to someone when they really need to.
0: Gotcha. So, you have a manager that you hired and he or she is, where do they live? They're probably virtual to all these properties? Yeah. Uh,
1: she lives in Memphis. So, she's pretty local she does. there near the uh, mm-hmm. building. But then she helps me virtually with the uh, properties in Sacramento as well.
0: Is it important that this manager be local to the units or do you think this same person could do the same thing from somewhere else? Yeah,
1: I think it's important to have someone there. A lot of times what people do is just use their housekeeper. So they'll provide you know just a housekeeper who's really familiar with the apartment already and then use their contact number. I wanted to have someone else since I had gotten quite a few listings just to help manage everything. I think you do need to have someone there for sure, Yeah, whether it's a housekeeper or not.
0: What's next for you? Are you thinking of perhaps scaling this or kind of what's next for you moving forward? I'd like to be in another market too.
1: So, I've been sort of exploring some of the markets. I plan on doing more in Memphis also. I'd probably be going back there in uh, like the next six weeks or so looking at properties. And then there's also kind of other ways to do it, which would provide passive income, but you're not necessarily purchasing a property. And and that's where you just sign the lease for a property with approval to sublease. And then you sort of make the difference between that. You can scale a lot faster that way. So, I might explore that a little bit
0: versus. uh, purchasing. So this would be kind of like a master lease. Right. Mm -hmm. Explain that a little bit to people who don't understand what that is and why you would do that.
1: Instead of purchasing a property, you know, which is going to take quite a bit more time, you know, maybe it needs renovation, all that, you can, with approval of the landlord, rent their apartment with the understanding that you're going to be renting it to short term guests, you know, have a lease amendment or something that states you can do that. And then that way you rent an apartment in a good area. You sign the lease, you can put furniture there in a couple weeks, and then you can start renting it out. And the nightly rents are a lot higher than long-term rents. That varies by market, but it's just a lot quicker to get going that way. And I think you make pretty decent
0: money that way too. But you would have to improve someone's property or would you be subleasing or master leasing something that's already kind of perfect and you just need to put some furniture in it?
1: Will be looking at rents that are pretty much ready to go. Maybe have something to lease that says so I can paint some walls or something if I want, but no real renovations of any sorts. I'd you know, change the door lock, lot, maybe use paint, and then aside from that, just furniture. Okay.
0: And then ready to go. Yeah. Okay. So you wouldn't do something like you did this eight unit building with a master lease? No, 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 no. Gotcha. Now, what are some of the considerations here from people that are looking to do something similar? Let's start with uh, the building itself and we'll kind of walk out to the geography itself. But what kind of building or area is most suited for something like this?
1: Well, I would say, in terms of the building, the guests are different depending on what site they're booking through. So, and the majority of my bookings come from Airbnb. So, that's sort of what I targeted. But most of those people, are looking for more of like a unique experience. They have the option to stay in a hotel already, but they want something with a kitchen. And the more unique the better. And it also helps it stand out online. So I think buildings, you know, that are smaller, maybe twelve units or less, you know, but they're in good shape, those work really well for me. But then you have, you know, apartments on the completely opposite end of the spectrum. I have friends that are running luxury condos and things like that. It's pretty flexible really. I would say the location is very important, though. A lot of people like to be able to walk.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And now what about the city or area that you're in? We talked about the building, something with, you know, makes it unique and interesting all the way from interesting to historical to luxury. Mm -hmm. We want to be in an area where people can typically walk to it, basically where people want to want to be. What about the city itself? What are some considerations? You talked about Memphis. You talked about Sacramento. Yeah. You said you were talking about moving out of Sacramento. So what are your considerations as you consider the city that you're going to do this in?
1: Yeah, regulations is a big one. And that's easy to find out, though. I mean, you can do some Google searches and find out if they already have restrictions against short-term rentals. Of course, you're going to be looking at returns. And really... I found there's sort of like a base to nightly rentals. I mean, uh, there's like a certain price where it doesn't seem like you rent for less than that amount. So the cheaper the property in a good area, I think the better it's going to be. And so it seems to kind of work in in any of the markets. You know, a lot of the turnkey markets where people are buying single family homes. A lot of those markets work well because it's more landlord friendly, which usually means regulations are a little lighter. The properties still makes sense to purchase, but you get good rents. So I think a lot of the turnkey areas are really good, really good places. They're also sort of under the radar, you know, they're not the San Francisco's or New York's, you know, or Texas or something where a lot of property values have gone up a ton and a lot of people are looking now, or Atlanta.
0: Yeah, what are some of the areas or cities you like? You talked about Memphis, what other areas or cities are like that where you talk about these turnkey markets?
1: You know, I'm just starting to kind of research them. I, I was looking at, you know Florida a little bit for the purchase side. Memphis is great. It's really the kind of the Indianapolis. I think would be pretty good. Those are kind of really the only ones that I've really researched at the moment.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, it's cool. So raising up a level. What are you really excited about right now? And this may not be related to Airbnb and all, but I know you're gallivant You were in Asia for a while. Now you're in Colombia. So, <laughs> yeah. What are you really excited about?
1: Well, I'm. I'm in contract for
0: this property here in Columbia, so that's kind of, that's really exciting. Uh oh, so, Gro- Gro- Roots in Columbia. That is pretty exciting. Outstanding. Yeah, really cool place. What's so, the best place, Tim, for people to get a hold of you, get in touch with you?
1: They can send me an email if they want. My company's Midtown Stays, so I can send it to Tim at Midtown. Stays, dot com.
0: I enjoyed getting to know you. We were on the Real Estate Guys cruise for a couple of years and yeah. met a year ago. And I was like, oh, there's this crazy guy, Tim Hubbard. He's doing this Airbnb thing. Let's let's see how it goes. And then we reconnected again last year. And obviously, it was going very well. So I really, really appreciate you sharing that story with us. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So let me get this straight. A studio apartment making $350.00 income on the free open market is now generating $2,500 in Airbnb mode. Is that insane, guys? I mean, shoot, he paid $270,000 for the building, put another $200,000 into it. So now he's into it for roughly $500,000. I haven't done the math on this thing, but he could have probably paid a million dollars and be fine. So I'm really fascinated by this stuff. He's looking for more things. It will not be the last time that we've heard of Tim and what he's doing. And like I said, I'm really interested in combining strategies like that. So think about that as you're doing especially small apartment buildings. I think it's going to be more difficult to do this on a large scale because people do want uniqueness. They want character. They don't want a cookie cutter hotel room. So doing this on a 200 unit probably is not really going to work, but it will work with small buildings like a 10 unit or quad or even a 20 unit in the right areas. So I'm really fascinated by that. I'll keep that in the back of your mind as you're out there looking for apartment buildings and you're raising money. Keep an eye out for the Airbnb thing. And sometimes you maybe you can combine the two. So he's working on another one right now where he's going to do a hybrid. Half of them are going to be Airbnb and the other are going to be market-level tenants. Uh, he just wants to see if it can be done. Again, he is concerned about legislation, even though Memphis, we don't think it's very likely, and as well as a lot of the other areas that he mentioned. But nevertheless, it's something that you want to be aware of. Legislation is always a primary concern, as well as any kind of upcoming recession. But we think that the Airbnb is fairly recession-proof, though. Clearly, people will travel less. So there's some considerations here with regards to this model. But it's definitely something else to put in your toolbox. If you haven't done it or so already, make sure you download my free ebook. It's over at themichaelblanc.com forward slash ebook. So go ahead and grab that now. That's all about how to raise money to buy your first apartment building. I also forgot to mention that in the show notes, I'm going to put some before and after photos of these things in. That's going to be at themichaelblanc.com forward slash session 111. Session 111 is going to be the show notes for this one. You can also get in touch with Tim Hummert as well. Guys, if you really love the show, make sure you leave me a review on iTunes. That way more people discover the show. Really enjoyed having you on the show. Here you guys take it easy and I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.